This is the Let's Talk Tribe Weekly Prospect Chat, recorded on August 3rd, 2017. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and joining me as always on this Thursday evening is Let's Go Tribe lead prospect writer, Brian Hemminger. Brian Hemminger. So there close. it is. The whole time the music was playing, I was saying Hemminger, 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 and I messed it up. So. <laughs> Brian, what do we have today? Oh, <laughs> uh, we have so much to talk about. We have a no-hitter thrown by an Indians pitcher, complete game no-hitter. We have a the trade deadline passed. We've traded some prospects. I'll be talking about that. Uh, our number one pitching prospect, Tristan McKenzie, has been struggling a little bit. So we'll be talking about whether or not it's time to maybe shut him down. And then, of course, players of the week. Um, and then an old friend, a former Indians prospect, uh, made his major league debut this week, and I'm super proud of him. So a lot of stuff to talk about, and it's going to be great. Yeah, nothing better to start talking about than a no-hitter, of course. Uh, Yu Shen Chang, yeah. like you said, he, he, he threw one. <laughs> this wasn't a minor league no-hitter. We see, I swear I've seen more than one this year where it's been like multiple players, which makes sense because you don't want to burn on a minor league arm for a no-hitter down there. But he actually mm-hmm. threw one and then yeah. recently got promoted. So, yeah. so what's going on with him there? Yeah, and sometimes they throw them in like their double headers that are seven innings. So does that really count? I don't know. But Xiao Ching Chang really threw it, and that was super impressive. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll talk a little bit about him first. I mean, he's 23 years old, which is about the average age of uh, pitchers and players in high age, slightly younger. Um, and he's uh, basically a pitcher that, pitches to contact primarily. He doesn't have a, a crazy strikeout rate. He struck out 81 batters in 122 innings this year. Primarily, he likes to throw low in the zone, get ground balls, and he pitches deep into games. I mean, there was a stretch at one point this season where he had, let's see, seven games in a row where he pitched at least seven innings. That's insane. He started off the year really well, like through, I think, his first about 10 starts or so. He, uh, his ERA, I mean, it was all the way into mid-June, his ERA was 2.5. He he was actually struggling in uh, June and July a little bit, but then, bam, out of nowhere, no-hitter. But this guy has the kind of stuff that could get a no-hitter because, you know, usually when you get a no-hitter, it's not the guy that's going to be punching out, you know, 15, 16 guys. They're just, their pitch count's going to be too high. But uh, Chang was able to, to pitch to contact. He had, had some good defense behind him. The the balls found the defenders. And he had one hit batter and one walk and seven strikeouts. And then, of course, obviously, nine innings, no runs, no hits. So that's pretty amazing. It's always nice to see it somewhere in the Indians organization. Uh, what do you? What does he look like as an actual prospect? Just a generic sounding, gets ground balls and eat up a lot of innings. That sounds like a, a four or five pitcher who can be pretty solid, I would think. But mm-hmm. what are we actually looking like, at as a prospect? In terms of prospect status, he's a guy that's going to, you know, keep working up the organizational ladder. I don't like. He's not a top thirty guy. He's probably fringe top fifty. And this year, he he definitely has had a. Uh, a much improved season. Let me check overall. Um, yeah, his, he's having his best season uh, relative, relatively significantly um, this year. He's And he's gotten a little bit better every year so far. So I think, uh, you know, he's he's 
kind of he could be a, a late bloomer a little bit too. I mean, this is his fifth year uh, with the Indians. His first two years he was with the or first three seasons he was with the, the AZL Rookie League. <laughs> is that, if that sounds crazy enough, his first year he pitched one inning. That his next year he pitched one inning. <laughs> <laughs> Really and then he finally, yeah, I don't know if he had injuries or, or something, because I wasn't like the, the prospect writer back then. It looks like he was on the 60-day disabled list and stuff. So, but, you know, so that stalled his development, but it seems like he's coming into his own now. So I could see him being a, a back-end rotation guy. I mean, you can always use those inning eaters that can get low pitch counts, like a, a Josh Tomlin type. So... And he doesn't walk people. I mean, he's at 22 walks and 122 innings pitched this year. That's great. So um, if he can just stay in the zone, keep the ball low, not give up a lot of home runs, he definitely is the the type of pitcher that could uh, make it to the major leagues. So this next thing we're going to talk about, uh, for, for listeners of this podcast, I think they understand the pain we're feeling right now. Maybe a lot of Indians fans might not, but uh, the Indians traded for Joe Smith, um, Fun reliever, great guy, loves Cleveland. He might be a really good reliever for the Indians this season. Mm-hmm. But they traded away Thomas Pannone, a pitcher who, again, listeners of this podcast should be very familiar with. He allowed not a single run in high A this year, got promoted. He's been pretty good in double A. And they also traded Samad Taylor. This feels like a little, another minor version of the Andrew Miller trade. It's the same kind of idea, I think. But So what did we lose in, in Thomas Pannone and Samad Taylor? Well, in Pannone, I think the Indians gave up a lot with... I know that MLB Pipeline didn't have Pannone on their top 30, but, I mean, I wrote pretty extensively complaining about why wasn't he in the top 30. He should he should be top 15 with uh, the way he's been pitching the last two seasons. Personally, I think he was our number one left-handed pitching prospect, and that's saying a lot considering we have uh, former first overall pick Brady Aiken, uh former first-round pick Rob Kaminsky, former second-round pick Juan Hillman, and then you throw in you know, Sean Morimando with three shutouts this year. I still thought Thomas Pannone was our number one left-handed pitching prospect. So, I mean, he started the year out amazing. He was on a 45-inning, uh, scoreless inning streak, and then got promoted to double-A, made the double-A all-star team despite starting the season like, a month late. I mean, he is, he's a really good uh, young pitcher and we're going to miss him. I think, I I honestly think that he could have been good enough to be making spot starts next season. Like Toronto's going to like him. I think he could be like a number three starter type. Now uh, with Samad Taylor, um, he was a really good player. Like as a 10th round draft pick, he batted like 292 last year. And then he, was batting 300 with Mahoning Valley playing second base and was being super productive. Um, the problem is they had two really good second basemen on that team. Uh, Ernie Clement, who they drafted this year in the fourth round, a guy that never strikes out. He was He's on like a 15-game hitting streak. And so one of those guys became expendable So because you know, they were basically going to be coming up at the same time. And... So they they threw him in, but you know, Taylor definitely is a guy that I think could uh, make the make the bigs at some point too. I mean, it's gonna not be nearly as soon as Pannone, since Taylor's at low A. He still has about four levels to go through, but so far he's been up to the challenge. So it was tough to see those go. Even though they weren't top thirty prospects, they were both 
like I think a lot of people thought Panone should have at least been top 20 and uh, Taylor was on my others to consider list for the top 30. So um, I think, you know, with Mark Shapiro knowing the Indian system pretty well, I think uh, they definitely picked the, the right prospects to get back if the Indians weren't willing to deal like top guys to get Joe Smith. And it's worth noting that Pannone, he, he does make the Blue Jays top 30 on MLB pipeline. He's number yeah, 21. Yeah, he's 21. So we finally get to see their little scouting report on him. It looks like they're... The reason they they're like not having him higher, yeah. The only reason they have he doesn't lack he lacks a plus pitch and thrives based on deception. Well, I don't know. All of his lot. pitches yeah. were above average, though. Yeah. So, I think MLB pipelines a lot of the time they look for that one like they want yeah. that one plus plus pitch. But Pannone just has I think a bunch I think the other stuff. thing is where they're drafted. I think MLB pipeline is super biased towards high level high draft picks. Mm-hmm. Um, like if if Thomas Pannone had been drafted in the first like three rounds and he was putting up those numbers, he'd be top 10 Indians prospect. Yeah. And I, I, I do remember, I, swear. I remember Jordan Bastian tweeted right after the trade that there are some GMs who think he was a top 10 Indians prospect just on his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he, and he's got a good makeup too. I mean, yeah. being a converted to a pitcher, like basically was an outfielder when the Cubs drafted him. And then the next year he'd, he'd done some pitching in junior college and the Indians draft him. So, you know, he's got, you know, a lot more potential for growth with that arm too, because it hasn't really been stressed that much. So speaking of sad things, uh, Tristan McKenzie's not doing great. <laughs> Last two mm-hmm. starts, 13 earned, 13 earned runs over 10 start or turn, yeah, 10 innings. Jeez. He's still not walking a ton three in each start, which isn't terrible. It's not great for him, but um, it doesn't look like a control issue, but he's just suddenly been hittable. Uh, what do you think it is with young Tristan McKenzie who just turned 20? Yesterday in high A. Yeah. Um, well, part of it is, you know, he's probably getting a little tired. Um, he's pitched 113 innings this year in his career, which is his previous two seasons combined, which were shortened seasons. He is at 209 in his career. So, you know, this year he's doubled his, more than doubled his career innings pitched as a professional. So, uh, I, although last year he did, you know, he, he pitched, what, 83 innings? So, you know, he's not terribly more than last season, but I can I can understand, you know, against uh, going out there every five days and he hasn't had any injuries or anything, and maybe he, his arm is starting to get a little tired. The, the start before, when he went five innings and gave up uh, seven runs, I wasn't as worried about that one because, you know, he still struck out six, so more than a batter an inning. But this last one, you know, he walked three in five innings, gave up uh, six runs, and only struck out two. You know, the thing that has been good about Tristan is, you know, even if he has a rough outing, you know, he's still getting the strikeouts. He's still punching people out. And and the other thing is when he has a bad outing, he usually follows it up with amazing outing. Like earlier this year, he went 1.2 innings and gave up seven runs. Next start, he went six innings, one run, no walks, eight strikeouts. So this time, uh, he went five innings, five or seven runs, and followed it up with five innings, six runs. So, I mean, it's not like just alarms blaring, shut it down yet, but we'll probably see how he looks his next time out. And if he struggles again, maybe it would be time to, uh, you know, slow things down a little bit, give his arm a rest for next season. Yeah, I think it's just a simple explanation of it. He's just tired. It's not like a big traumatic thing. It doesn't mean he's terrible now. I don't think it has anything to do with his body shape either. The fact that he's skinny, he's just 
20 years well, old and throwing every five days. That, that also could have a factor in terms of endurance. I know that his velocity tails off as he gets later into games. So, you know, as he does, you know, pack on a little bit more muscle to his frame, which he definitely has room to do, um, he'll be able to maybe have a stronger, longer seasons and, and have a little bit more life on his pitches late in games. Because uh, I know that his velocity tails off about three or four miles an hour as it gets to like the later innings. But what's crazy is he usually that's where he gets the most strikeouts when he has to like pitch the ho- the most instead of you know rely on his nasty stuff. Yeah, I think we can both say neither of us are really worried about him. It's just no, not not whatsoever. Stuff. Yep. Um, until I hear something about elbow soreness or something, <laughs> then I'll be worried. But yeah. for for now, it just seems like he might be a little tired. Does this mean he's not getting that September call up, Ryan? Is that what this means? It, yeah, I was <laughs> expecting him to be getting called up to Double A instead of uh, Chang, but yeah, he might. Oh, you're talking about September to the yeah. Indians. <laughs> okay, no, <laughs> but for a serious I, question, do you over think my head, stop him from over being my head in Double A. Yeah, that's another good point, though. Like, will this prevent him from going to Double A? Maybe that'll let him ease off. Well, he'll definitely be going to Double A next year because I mean, with his numbers, he could have been promoted to Double A a month ago, but. Um, I guess that they're just going to slow slow the roll a little bit with him. So kind of a good story here. Um, Carlos Moncrief was a player the Indians drafted in the 14th round in 2008. He was in the system. Um, it says his debut was in 2010. I don't know what he was doing before that. Probably the Rookie League, which I don't think is counted in fan graphs. Um, <laughs> but he was with the Indians through 2015. Went to the Giants after that. Never really quite made it, although he was he was a pretty decent offensive player all his way through. Always had WRC plus above 120 at every level, so he wasn't awful by any means. I just don't think he was ever really a solid blow-away prospect. But he made his MLB debut with the Giants, which is kind of neat. And he had his first hit, so he's yeah, on his way. His the first... Giants are not great, but at least he's he's found somewhere to play. Yeah, I, I'm really happy for him because I thought that he was done. Usually when you see a prospect get to AAA and then they he was at AAA – all of 2014, and then everybody was like, okay, 2015's the year that he's going to make it to the Indians. But then he started the year at AAA in 2015, batted 187 through his first 57 games, got demoted to AA, which is brutal when you're just that close. And especially after you've already spent a whole season the year before at AAA, when he batted 271, which isn't even that bad. So and then he spends the whole the rest of the season at Double uh, A, and then the Indians re- release him. <laughs> so I mean, at that point, I thought his career was over. I mean, when you take a step back like that, and then the team just gives up on you, I mean, that can be so disheartening. But credit to him, 2016, he spent the whole year at Double A and made it to AAA in the Giants system this year, batted 287, and earned the call-up. And he got a walk in his first at-bat, and he's gone three for five with a double. So, you know, he's, he's leading all the baseball and hitting right now. So good for him. <laughs> yeah, that's 600, 667, 800 slash. That's going to – Yeah, that's, that's quite bad. the line, Carlos Moncrief. And then we, we saw some – 467 OPS. <laughs> Just casual stuff, you know. It's Barry Bonds numbers right there. And we saw a similar thing early this year with Jesus Aguilar. He's with the – I don't think he's starting with the Brewers anymore, but he is there. Well, yeah, his – well, the problem is he's has to split time with the Marcus Thames. So yeah. <laughs> uh, even though he's playing great, like seriously, he's he's been excellent oh, this yeah, year. Yeah. Um, 
he just he's behind Thames. Like he's got eleven home runs. He's batting two eighty four. Um, so yeah, he's doing great. I hope that he can stick around now. Um, like that, they, they've got to find room for him. I wish he was in an American League team just so he could get at bats at DH regularly. If you know there was a first baseman ahead of him. Oh yeah, but, he's such a, a typical DH. I think he's like perfect for yeah. that role. But yeah, he's doing great. So it seems like he's going to stick, and and I'm happy for him. Like it always felt like. The Indians never really gave him a shot. Like they would give him like a spot start late in the season a couple times, and he never got a chance to like settle in. And yeah. then, then the then the Indians just released him this off season because you know there wasn't going to be a spot at because they signed Edwin and there wasn't going to be a spot at AAA with Nelly Rodriguez, and he raked in uh, spring training and made the Brewers roster right out of right out of spring training and he's been there ever since basically as a semi bench player but hey he's he's had 96 games like he's been getting in late and like getting those pinch hit at bats and all those situations when uh you know with the when they got a bat for the pitcher and stuff in the national league so like he's 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 succeeding and i'm really happy for him yeah i like seeing former indians prospects do well elsewhere especially when they don't have a place here it's just nice to see yeah. them do something as long as we didn't give them up for yeah, nothing, they're not too or good. like, yeah, yeah. Be, be <laughs> like, like Brandon Phillips. Brandon Phillips always hurts me. <laughs> yeah, that, that always hurts. All right, Brian. So the place where most people are going to listen to this, uh, let's break down your players of the week. Um, should have a, a couple good ones, I hope. This week, last week was pretty sparse, or not last week, but last time we had an episode a couple weeks ago, was mm-hmm. pretty sparse on great players. But what about this time around? Well, this week, uh, obviously, there's one player that is the easiest selection of all time. Uh, with Shaoqing Chang throwing a no-hitter. So he's clearly going to be one of the players. Um, Yandy Diaz is batting over 600, so I think he's going to make it. Uh, he even hit a home run. You know, People always make fun of him for not hitting it for enough power. I think he's hit a home run and three doubles, and that doesn't even include today where he's gone two for four, and uh, the Clippers are winning like 10 nothing, just smashing. And here's one, I think a first-timer, Long time coming, though. Nolan Jones, he has really been hitting well lately with uh, Mahoning Valley. So he'll be on for sure. And then I'm still kind of looking for the the next set of prospects. But with those three, they have very strong cases. Although it's going to be tough for anybody to beat Chang when you throw a no-hitter. Yeah, it's, it's hard to beat. And he, he skipped your... Your two start rule. I mean, if you throw a no hitter, oh, you're yeah. breaking all the barriers. Yeah, so. that's you throw a no hitter or a shutout, you're getting in. <laughs> I'm gonna vote for Yandi just because anytime I can vote for those biceps, I feel like I have to. If I don't, I'm gonna get in a headlock or something. Yeah, Yandi, Yandi, seriously, you're gonna be impressed by the stats that that I'm gonna be posting for this week that he's putting up. He's been so good. Um, all right, so we're gonna go on to questions. Every Thursday, we ask you guys on Twitter and Facebook. Normally, we'd ask live, but I'm 99% sure the live stream is not working right now. So sorry about that if you're listening later and we're wondering why it wasn't live. That's why. It was Facebook, not us. Um, so at Bless You Boys, very important question up the top here. Can we have Francisco Mejia? I'm, I'm assuming they mean we as in the Detroit Tigers and not the Bless You Boys SB Nation blog. But uh, can the Tigers <laughs> have Francisco Mejia? No. No. I mean, unless they were willing to give us, like, Justin Verlander, Ian Kinsler... Uh, take back JD Martinez and give him him too. <laughs> and also, and I, would con- I would consider. I would consider. Yeah, and and keep the money, pay off <laughs> this season at least from their contracts. Then maybe. 
Now, if they do mean, can we, as in bless you boys, have Francisco Mejia? Sure. He can He can moonlight as a, a blogger for the Tigers. I don't care. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Uh, yeah, he's, he's working on his English. Maybe maybe he is, you know, he, he's a poet. Who knows? Exactly. Uh, so, thank you, bless you boys. So at P. Fiends, he wants to know, is there a, a, a legitimate path to the big league club for Richie Schaefer outside of September call-ups? Feels like his path is blocked. What do you think? Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. I mean, he's a corner. Right now he's playing some corner outfield, and he can play third base. He's in the exact same situation that Yandy Diaz is in, except Schaefer strikes out way more, but he hits way more home runs, and he makes significantly less contact. So, like, they both of those guys are playing the same positions, and right now outfield is not an issue with the Indians. You've got Bradley Zimmer playing amazing, Michael Brantley playing amazing. Austin Jackson's killing it. And Lonnie Chisenhall's about to come off the DL. Even in the minors, you've got Abel Monte, who was not playing badly with the Indians, but they just didn't have room with uh, Keepin Zimmer. So, yeah, there's there's not really room at the moment. Yeah, and he's also a third baseman. So, I mean, maybe you could put him over there and put Jose at second. But I think they already kind of proved they're going to go with Urshela and Gonzalez as the backups. Urshela at third, mm-hmm. Gonzalez at second. And... Plus, plus we're getting Kiptis back like Sunday. So. Yeah, so it won't be needed. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's just kind of blocked. I don't know. Maybe next year he'll use this as a way to sign somewhere. Yeah. And Schaefer could play first base next year. It's possible um, yeah. with Santana leaving. But, you know, you're, you better be good first baseman. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you, P. Fiends. Our next one is at Old Man Bickshorn. He wants to know, does Mejia project to play catcher long-term? What other positions could he play? So, Brian, he has... We've heard that the only thing he has left to develop is his defense. So, is that any kind of sign maybe he can play somewhere else? Or is this going to be his position for kind of like a career-long catcher? We don't see a ton of those anymore, but is maybe he going to be one? I, I expect that he'll be a catcher for a while. I, I, I mean... Usually you see guys play catcher and then when they want to like protect them health wise, they move to first base, like the Joe Bauer path um, or the Mike Napoli path. You know, that's that's pretty a common thing. Um, Mejia does is a pretty good athlete, but, you know, he's what, five, ten. Like he's he's not a very big guy. So, you know, first base might even be tricky for him. You know, you usually want a bigger guy at first base. So they can reach out for bad throws and stuff. So I think. For now, it's just stick at uh, catcher. I mean, and it's, his catching is still extremely good. Like, it's not really a defense problem. It's more um, continue to learn English, continue to learn to call the game type stuff. Like, I mean, the guy's got an absolute cannon for an arm, the best arm in the Indians minor league system. So he's he's fine at catcher, and he's athletic enough. I mean, he he, he what's amazing is he wasn't originally a catcher. He was... I think an outfielder or something. He was just, he could hit and he was athletic and they put him at catcher. And when you have a catcher that can hit like that, it just, it's magical. And if you moved him away from catcher, it would take away a lot of his value personally, because you don't see a lot of catchers that, that can rake like what Francisco Mejia can do. Yeah. And like you said, that cannon arm. And mm-hmm. I feel like a completely unresearched opinion here, but I think it's like mostly the bigger guys that are moved out of catcher, like the taller guys yeah. with their knees go bad faster. He's he seemed like the good size to be a catcher for long term. Like you said, he's five eight, mm-hmm. he's like one eighty pounds. So there may not be a ton of stress on his knees, like somebody like even Salvador Perez for the the Royals or even Carlos Santana had on his knees. It's always the bigger guys mm-hmm. who get moved to first who have all that stress on their knees. I think even Joe Bauer is kind of a bigger guy, but Francisco he is littler and he's got that rocket of an arm and. 
I'm so excited to see every. I swear, every week I'm more excited to see when he comes up. I'm, <laughs> I'm being patient, but I'm so excited when he debuts. I think it's next year. I think the Indians are gonna are gonna really be patient. Plus, I think he's he's dealt with a couple injuries this year. He had a groin problem. He's day to day with the hip thing right now. I don't think he's on the DL uh, with Akron, but. So, you know, the Indians are definitely being very careful with him. Like, they're not catching him a ton of games back-to-back. Like, they're – so, it'll be interesting because once it's time for him to play in the majors, you know, are they going to take the kid gloves off and let him catch, as you know, four games in a row and stuff and, and then have, you know, whatever – whoever's personal catcher or whatever go on. But uh, I'm excited to see it, and when – you just you, you got to get that bat in the lineup, and I expect that he'll be playing every day at, at catcher. All right, thank you for that one, old man Bickshorn. Uh, so Mark Shevelton on Facebook, he wants to know, when we attend a minor league ball game, where is the best place to find statistics? Well, uh, the scoreboard certainly doesn't hurt. But uh, <laughs> if uh, you, you know, you're just looking up, like you see a player and you want to learn a little bit more about him, uh, I really like... MILB.com as a website, but you know that it isn't the most uh, mobile friendly. So they actually MILB.com has an app called First Pitch, and I use that all the time. Like if you're following the Indians teams, you can just set all your favorite teams to Columbus Clippers, Akron Rubber Ducks, Mahoning Valley Scrappers, Lake County Captains, and Lynchburg Hillcats. And you can kind of just check the scores for those teams every every day, and then you can click the players, see their profiles, see how you know their careers are going, and all their statistics and stuff. And then, of course, you can't go wrong with FanGraphs. Uh, FanGraphs tracks every player, including all players in the minor leagues at all levels, even the DSL. So, uh, you know, those are those are definitely my go-to's when I'm looking up statistics for Indians prospects. Yeah, I like it too. The only problem that I have, maybe is nothing to do with the ballpark, maybe specific, but they don't let you Chromecast games. Mm-hmm. I love watching minor league games on MILB TV, but you cannot Chromecast, and it's still like, come on, <laughs> you can't do it with the computer <laughs> either. There's no way to watch it on your TV. It's ridiculous, people. Well, I guess some that's, of those games, uh, the way they have those broadcasts sh- set up, they are not pretty. But <laughs> like the Clippers, they get a really high definition broadcast, so they would be really great on a big TV. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, you should lodge a complaint with them and, and see if uh, they'll listen. Oh, there's so many times I've complained about MLB TV anymore. I think everybody over there just ignores me. <laughs> so uh, Mark also asked, uh, we, we sort of talked about this, but he wants to know, Brian, will you miss Thomas Pannone? More than just as a prospect, Let's. what do you think, Brian? Are you going to miss Thomas Pannone? I'm going to miss him a lot. Like, it's going to hurt me. <laughs> like, the first time that he starts against the Indians, because I'm going to be so conflicted, because he's just, he's such a good kid, like, and I had like a really good interview with him where, you know, we talked about so many cool things like he's from an Italian family. He's a Sinatra fan. Uh, you know, you don't see a lot of players coming out of Rhode Island and making it to the bigs. And he did so or he's going to. And uh, yeah, I'm going to miss Thomas Pannone a lot like because I've been hyping this kid up for two years and then the Indians just go and trade him. So <laughs> I definitely was sad. I know Joe Smith is going to help the Indians a lot, especially now with Andrew Miller on the DL. But, man, it, it really does pain me to see Thomas Pannone uh, can be pitching it for another team. I do think this could be easily like the equivalent of the Angels sending Mike Clevenger for Vinny Pastano. 
because Pastano was really good for the Angels, but they also lost Mike Clevenger, who turned out to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Mike, I think Clevenger has a long future with the Indians, and the Angels are definitely kicking themselves for being short-sighted on that one. <laughs> so, Brian, that's all our, our scheduled questions, but we missed out on one. We don't have our uh, Brady question, or Brady Aiken question of the week, which is surprising. This was the one week where I'm still yeah, you'd ready. think. Yeah, <laughs> with what happened, he had another bad outing. I don't know if I'm fully blasting the Brady Aiken panic horn, but if there's a little bell, I'm sort of ringing it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in the corner yeah, ringing it. I'm a little worried. He, it's yeah. It seemed like he was starting to figure things out. Like he had a stretch there with uh, I think let's see, two, three, four, five straight games where he gave up two runs or less, including his first scoreless outing uh, of the of the year, and then since then. His last two outings, he went five innings, four runs, and then most recently was just horrific. He went two and two-thirds, seven runs, eight hits, six walks. His whip is almost two. I mean, it's 1.83 on the season. That is atrocious. So, you know, um, I just I hope that whatever it is that is just killing his command – uh, I hope he can figure it out because, I mean, he is almost averaging a walk an inning. Yeah, he is yeah. averaging 0.8 walks per inning. I mean, usually you don't want walks and hits combined to be that, and he's given up more than one hit an inning. So, uh, yeah, when you're basically almost averaging two base runners per inning, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I mean, it, it, come back from Tommy John, everybody has their own speed, but at this point his is – it's worryingly slow, and we're starting to see it in mm-hmm. prospect ratings. He's slipping. He was, he was close to tops on some lists last year, and now he's yeah, now close he's, to some top ten. Top MLB Pipeline had him at twenty five. Yeah, that's he that's went from five. number four to twenty five. Yeah, and like you said, Thomas Panone leapfrogged him as probably the best lefty in the system. Oh yeah, of course, clearly. Did. All right, Brian, uh, that is our show for this week. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Well, I guess you weren't listening live now, but thank you for downloading it and listening it later. Uh, We will talk to you guys next week. Have a good one.